Welcome back. It's time to grab your board and swim out into the sea of ideas. See if you can catch that sales pipeline as it starts to curl up over the horizon there. With the one man, the only man who predicted that Croatia would be in the World Cup, Matt Hines. I had them all along. (laughs) There was never a doubt. Never a doubt. A a country that is the size of West Virginia with the population of Oregon is now in the World Cup finals. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the, the two greatest teams in the world are France and Croatia? Well, I wouldn't. I mean, they're not necessarily the best teams in the world as these tournaments go. This is why they play the games, right? Yeah. You know, right. Any given sporting event, you never know. The Cinderella stories become pretty fun. It was, you know, I've got a lot of friends that uh, are from the UK that were just, you know, riveted by the run that England made, which yeah. was pretty fun to watch. And well, I remember. I mean, I'm not a big soccer guy myself, but four years ago when the U.S. men's team kind of made a run. Um, you know, it was, uh, I mean, it, it, it was just, it was transcendent. It was just kind of fun to watch. And uh, What surprised so me was the number of people watching here. I went into the local bank. They had a, a TV propped up. Um, I go down to our, uh, we're in an office building. There's kind of a common shared area where we, you know, get our coffee and stuff. Had people riveted to it. Um, guests canceled yesterday because they wanted to watch the finals. And so we had Holy to do cow. reruns. I mean, it was, I never saw that much enthusiasm particularly here in the United States where we're, you know, we're so blasé about soccer here. Well, I'm so glad that our guests today did not cancel due to either World <laughs> Cup or due to, you know, heat waves on the East Coast. Uh, very excited for our guests right. today. Well, w- welcome, everybody, to Sales Pipeline Radio. Thanks for joining us. For those of you who are joining us live, and we, the number joining us live, Paul, continues to increase every week. I am flabbergasted. In the middle of the work week, we got people joining us. So for those of you joining us live, we're here every week, 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. If you're joining us on the podcast, thank you for subscribing. Uh, you can find us uh, where all good podcasts are sold and downloaded, and every Every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, and future, is always available at salespipelineradio.com. We are every week featuring some of the best and brightest minds in sales and marketing and B2B, and today is no different. Very excited to have joining us from the heat and humidity of New York City, we've got Amy Holtzman. She's the Vice President of Marketing at Splash. Amy, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So I mean, heat and humidity might not. I mean, as someone who is a who is a Florida Gator alum, maybe this is really not that big a deal. As a as a wimpy West Coast folks uh, like Paul and I, but Paul from the from the from the upper Midwest, a little more familiar. But um, excited to have you on. And I mean, there's so many topics we could cover here. Um, but I know, like you know, recently, you know, with the the work you guys have done at Splash uh, on the event marketing side, maybe give a people a little overview of what Splash is and sort of what your role has been there uh, so far. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, so I joined Flash a little bit over a year ago, and um, we are an end-to-end event marketing technology. We make it really easy for brands to design, measure, and scale um, branded and highly converting event experiences. Um, and we focus on all the touch points throughout the event lifecycle, from the very first email communication to the landing page to your on-site touch points and post-event follow-up. And uh, when I joined, I think I think uh, I think what's um, been interesting is when I joined Splash, we um, were uh, a company of about 60 people, and we had no formal marketing function. So um, I've had the great pleasure and challenge of um, being the first um, head of marketing here, and have uh, been been in this role for a little bit over a year. Really, just um, uh, forming the function, growing the team. The team is about 10 folks right now, and the company is almost 120, and it's been a really quickly um, growing and fun ride. 
So I think a lot of people listening, when they hear, you know, you were kind of the first formal marketing employee, were able to build a team from scratch, maybe see that as a little bit exciting and terrifying at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like to do yeah, that? You know, I think there's probably some very positive things around building the culture you want, but also, you know, the culture of a company that exists and is growing without marketing may have its own challenges you just develop uh, that team as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right, yeah. So um, I wanted to join um, a company that was earlier stage than ones that I had previously been at. So before this, I was at Conductor, which is an SEO and content marketing platform. I joined them when they were Series B funding, so there were already about 140 people when I joined them. Um, and prior to that, I, I was with Demand-based B2B targeting and personalization platform. They were going on their Series C funding and uh, were about 70 people, but they had had a pre-established marketing function. And um, after those two experiences, I really wanted to kind of go in at the ground level and, and build my own systems and my own team from scratch. And I think um, uh, my advice to, to others that may be considering the same is be careful what you wish for, um, <laughs> because it has been way more challenging than I ever thought, also way more rewarding now that um, I've been a year in, but those first like three to six months are incredibly challenging, especially for a company that I would say was late to build out their marketing function. Um, I, I appreciate that the company spent years focused on product and on engineering and really built out their sales function pretty late and um, also built out their marketing function incredibly late. But in a lot of ways, still a year in, um, I feel like I'm playing catch up because we, we were so late to build the marketing function. Um, so yeah, I, th I think it's, it has been a unique opportunity to um, hire my own team. Um, I think in, in that opportunity, there's also challenges um, of trying to find other builders um, that are willing to do uh, uh, functions from the ground up. A lot of times folks go into a role and, and there's at least some kind of norm or status quo that they're trying to fulfill and improve. Um, but it's, it's um, been challenging and rewarding to find team uh, team members that are really builders and, and willing to do things for the first time from scratch. I've, I've learned that it's a, a special kind of individual that wants that challenge and also that succeeds in that challenge. Well, talking to Amy Holtzman today, she's the VP of Marketing at Splash. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at her resume, I mean, very quickly has risen up the ranks through a lot of very well-known companies. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate your candor in sharing about how difficult it can be to, to build a team, to, to build a marketing culture from scratch. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with a few people on your team and, uh, you know, have been impressed with, you know, just not just quality, quality and caliber of the, the people you've got, but it's never, it's never easy uh, to, to get all of that aligned. Yeah. Um, you know, talk a little bit about culture within your organization. I mean, it's one thing to find people that can do the work. Uh, you mentioned finding people that are builders. I mean, that's, you know, there's certainly a skill set um, and both some experience and intuition that helps with that. But as you're building a team from scratch, how do you think about culture? How important is culture? And what have you done to try to build a, a culture for marketing uh, at Splash? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, uh, you know, I think the first thing that I've looked for is, is people that um, can operate under um, a bit of ambiguity. Because when you're building a team and function for the first time and doing things for the first time, there's not like a very clearly defined roadmap. And so I... Um, have very carefully looked for people that have had previous roles where they they haven't had everything clearly spelled out for them. So it could be big company or small company people. Perhaps you know they lost a boss midway through um, a job that they had and had to operate like figure out the function for themselves or or something like that. Or they had a boss that was 
you know, not not always available to them, or perhaps they've run teams in the past and kind of had to set their own direction. Um, the other thing that I believe firmly um, in, and I think is very relevant to this podcast, is I grew up a demand generation marketer, and so I feel very strongly that everyone on the marketing team, regardless of function, should be measured in some way, um, uh, and, and it should be measured in some way aligned to the metrics of the business and to revenue. So everyone on my team, from our designers to our content people to um, our demand generation folks, certainly are measured um, on the overall marketing team's contribution to opportunities and to revenue to the company. And what that does for my team is it keeps them very focused on the tasks at hand that matter and that will truly impact the business. Um, and I think it's a fairly unusual way to run an entire marketing organization, but it means that my designer will prioritize, um, uh, you know, helping sales um, with their next one sheet or their next deck or whatever it is over um, ordering a piece of swag or something like that. And it just means that when we're going through prioritizing, um, we've got kind of something that, that the entire team gets behind in this opportunities and revenue. So I think you're you're right that that is kind of unique, right? I mean, I think, you know, organizations that either have some, you know, a a previous culture or inertia uh, around, you know, something that isn't revenue responsibility, that somebody isn't a great, you know, alignment with the sales organization's goals. uh, I have to imagine that 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 perspective helped accelerate sort of not only just alignment, but also credibility and partnership with the sales organization. Talk a little bit about how you do that. Uh, you know, and how, how that has worked for you. And, you know, maybe that has been part of what's been challenging because I think that, you know, creating not just strategic but also operational alignment between sales and marketing isn't always easy, but it sounds yeah. like the approach you're taking certainly would give you an advantage. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's never easy. What's interesting is um, because I was forming the marketing function for the first time, there were ideas of what marketing should do, but there was no, like, real expectation. And so um, I... Uh, no one asked me for our first demand generation model and our first, my first take at what marketing was going to contribute to the business. It was something that I had to put together myself um, based on very limited data. But I think it was not even a month in um, to my my time here at Splash. I said, I, I you know I had, I had been asking questions around the company and and asking everyone's expectation and, and what kinds of things they thought marketing should be and do for Splash. And, uh, and not, not no one, but almost no one really said, like, you know, I want to know how many opportunities you're bringing to the table and how, you know, pipeline and uh, revenue is going to increase because you're here. Most of the business kind of said, we want to do some events. We want to do, um, we want better collateral. We want all of these things. But, but not many people in the business were talking about marketing's contribution to revenue. So um, I think it was about 30 days in, I went and I put together our first demand generation model and said, um, you know, historically the website's brought in roughly these kinds of things without even trying. And when we've done little sponsorships and things, and there happens to be a campaign in Salesforce, um, I, you know, we've gotten these kinds of results from events, and, and it's roughly been tied to revenue in this way. Um, and I, I used like probably very bad data and very bad um, uh, reporting to um, back into what I thought could be our first revenue model for my first full quarter here. And that really changed the conversation with sales leadership and really the executive leadership team when I said, these are the things that like roughly we've been doing and this is my prediction of like how marketing is going to help like 
my first quarter, my second quarter, and a year in. Um, and it's incremental improvements that even, you know, 5 to 10% improvements through the through different stages of funnel can really impact revenue for a company, as I'm sure you know. And, and when I started talking in that way and really showed them the numbers and the math, that's when people started to kind of get excited and realize that marketing at Splash would be a revenue partner and, and not necessarily just a one-sheet factory um, or service organization. Yeah, one sheet factory is not a good reputation for marketers. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I think that the title of this uh, episode today is GDPR WTF. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, you guys published, we published together a uh, what we call the uncomplicated guide to GDPR for event marketers. And I think it was specific to, you know, event marketing and events in particular. But if you take out the events, it's still, you know, pretty good guide to GDPR in general. Um, Talk a little bit first about sort of why was that a, a theme that you wanted to cover at Splash, and um, you know how you know how how has um, how does GDPR become kind of a core part of your not only the product but also part of your marketing? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, it, it was it was uh, never my original intention to to produce so much thought leadership content around GDPR, um, and it kind of happened. It, it kind of happened because we fell into it, and so. And what I mean by that is as we as a company started to work through our own GDPR compliance and more specifically work through um, the requests that our customers were having around GDPR and how we would help them comply and um, what our approach to it would be, I was very involved in the mix of, um, of, of how we would handle um, GDPR compliance both for our customers and for ourselves. And I don't know, I was sitting in, in very long meetings week after week, kind of going through the nuances of, of compliance, how the product helps, helps our customers comply, how we were going to handle it internally, et cetera. And a few weeks in, I said, we have like a great amount of thought and content on this, and, and we need to put it together. And we need to tell um, not just our customers, but uh, the industry about it, because it, it affects all marketing. Um, not just events. Events have some unique components to it, but it affects all marketing. And, um, you know, I think that we saw a rush of GDPR content kind of towards the end, uh, or and not even the end, but as we approached the, the compliance date. Um, but, uh, but in the beginning, there was scarce information, and there was not much information on how to apply the regulation to your business and to, to your marketing tactics, right? Like there was very general information about the regulation, but, but no one was really talking about or understood how to, how to apply it. So we started to like form our own opinions on, on GDPR compliance. Um, obviously started talking to you, Matt, about it and, and realized that we had a lot of the same um, thoughts on it and, uh, and decided, you know, we, we really need to produce this content because um, there is such a need for it and there's such a need for that that practical content that actually helps you apply it to your business. Um, so we, I think short answer is we kind of fell into it because we, we needed to do it for our customers and we needed to do it internally. And then, uh, and then we really like felt strongly about educating the industry on it as we learned and, and having them learn alongside of us. Uh, if you want to check out some of what Splash has done with their GDPR uh, content, go to splashthat.com slash resources, scroll down and you'll see uh, see the uh, the best practice guide uh, that published uh, a couple of the webinars we did, and uh, I'm biased for sure because I was involved. But I think that they they, they produced really well. <laughs> I, I want to get into. We got to take a quick break here. 
but when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about some of the the unique ways that you know we work to sort of make this stand out to kind of reflect some of your brand and um, sort of how you know how some of those decisions are made versus what other people were doing. But uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We got Amy Holtzman; she's the VP of Marketing at Splash. We'll be back in just uh, just a bit. This is Sales Pipeline Radio. In a world where the speed of innovation and change in B2B marketing has never been greater, the only thing bigger is the need for clarity, for a blueprint, for a guide to what's really working. And how about a way to apply it specifically today to increase sales pipeline growth, velocity, and most of all, conversion? That's what you'll find in the Modern Marketer's Field Guide. And... Amazingly, you can download it for free. HeinzMarketing.com, just like it sounds, H-E-I-N-Z-M-A-R-K-E-T-I-N-G. It encompasses the entire sales and marketing cycle, but in quick bursts with lots of specific, actionable ideas, strategies, tactics you can put to work right away, like today. The loaded table of contents helps you narrow in and tackle a problem. And it's something you can come back to over and over again as a reference guide. Why not download your free copy of the Modern Marketer's Field Guide? It's free. HeinzMarketing.com, just like it sounds. H-E-I-N-Z, marketing.com. All right, back to Matt and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much again for joining us today. If you like this conversation we're having on Sales Pipeline Radio, you want to share this with some of your peers, uh, you'll find this episode on demand up at salespipelineradio.com in just a couple days. Every one of our episodes gets uh, taken down into an edited transcript, and you can find highlights of that for every one of our episodes up on our blog at heinzmarketing.com. Coming up next couple weeks as we, Paul, we continue the summer of pipeline. Uh, we're in the middle of summer pipeline now. It is here. We are mid-July. Uh, it feels like we summer is already quite slipping away. My wife is a school teacher, so literally in a month she's got to go back to school and get ready uh, to have for those chitlins again. But uh, uh, excited for our episode today. Next week we have uh, Shandar Patabrian. He is the CMO at Coupa Software. He's the former CMO at Marketo. He was a VP of marketing at IBM. Uh, one of my favorite guys in B2B. We're going to be talking about building and scaling sales and marketing engines. And the last show we have in July, as we continue the summer pipeline, we've got Jason Lowe. He's the global head of sales solutions at Anaplan. We're going to be talking about sales ops. We're going to be talking about managing the sales pipeline, uh, managing um, uh, sort of sales engineering, uh, and the technical aspects of uh, managing your pipeline. So a good couple of guests coming up here as we continue the summer of pipeline on Sales Pipeline Radio. Amy, we were talking, this Amy Holtzman is our guest today. She's the VP of Marketing at Splash. We were talking about the uncomplicated guide to GDPR. Folks can find it at splashthat.com slash resources. And one of the things that, you know, I, it, it, was, it was kind of fun for me working with you guys on this is the, just the, um, I don't know how you guys describe it from a brand standpoint. It was not irreverent, not necessarily whimsical. Um, definitely more of a casual approach. I think GDPR guides sometimes can be a little intimidating and can be very legalese. Um, you intentionally wanted to have a little bit of a different approach. Talk a little bit about uh, why and then how you did that. Yeah, so our, I, I mean, our overall approach, I think, to brand and to, um, to, to how we present ourselves is really we want to be the most accessible event marketing platform out there. Um, there's no reason to be so serious, and I think that B2B marketers often get caught up in um, being serious and presenting themselves in a certain way. And the reality is that like there's 
there's often no need to be that serious. Um, there's obviously a need to build credibility and trust, but we find that the best way to do that is to be human. And so we try to be human in everything we do, and we try to uh, talk to you as we're talking today and, and not talk at you as I think a lot of B2B marketing does. Um, and in that, we try to be very accessible um, to our audience. So we took the same approach to GDPR compliance, and, and, uh, and it is a very serious topic. Um, but you're absolutely right. It was it, it, it was important to us to maintain our brand, um, our brand voice, and um, our brand integrity in the same way that we do every day here through the guide. So I think and I hope we've done a good job of of um, being credible, but um, but uh, not unnecessarily serious. Well, and I, and I think that approach was validated. I mean, we both got a lot of feedback from, you know, the guide as well as the webinar and the, the approach to take that. I mean, you can have a serious topic that has real meat in it, but still, you know, not take yourself too seriously, still have some fun with it, still make it something that is um, engaging and, dare I say, entertaining. Uh, and I think that's part of our charter as marketers is to, is to go from being, you know, uh, interruptive to some level of irresistible. Right? And I think that the it's not just the type of content we put out there, but the approach that we take as part of that. So um, it is a serious topic. GDPR is is real. There are already lawsuits being filed against big companies that have uh, alleged violations. It's two months, uh, almost two months, as we record this from when GDPR came into effect. Amy, what just happened? What? What? <laughs> now that we're two weeks, two months in. Like what happened and what does it mean and is it what we thought it was going to be like what now that now the GDPR is two, two months old what is it? Yeah, so uh, so I think uh, I think we all knew. It, I think the entire new world knew that something was happening. If not GDPR, that week of May twenty fifth, when uh, I don't know, our email inboxes were flooded with thousands updated privacy policies, which was uh, a, a part of the regulation. Um, and uh, I think uh, if, if you didn't know GDPR was happening and you weren't a marketer, um, uh, you definitely knew that uh, it was happening by the end of that week. Um, and then since that week, it was, I think it was hilarious. You also saw what companies were uh, a little late to the party and saw kind of a slow drip of, of updated privacy policies for the next few weeks. I think those things have stopped now. Which is nice, um, but I got one this yeah, morning. It's, it's still funny. coming. Did you? That's that's hilarious. Um, that's so funny. I haven't seen one for a few weeks, and knock on wood, now I'll probably go back to my desk and see twenty. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what happened was it it really forced us to have a conversation that we needed to have anyway, right? And that is around how we handle our database and how we capture consent and how we market to people. And it's really about, um, it's really been about uh, making sure that we are treating people how they want to be treated, right? So the reality is that if somebody didn't want to be in your database before or gotten there in a, in a, in a, um, an untransparent way um, and was upset about it, they, they shouldn't have been there to begin with, right? So I think GDPR forced us all to look at a very important issue of consent, uh, how we manage data, how we respond to requests for data and requests to be removed from things. And it, it, it really forced a conversation that was a long time in the making. Since that date, I think uh, I've seen, I, it, it's interesting, I've seen that a lot of forms on different websites have changed. Um, I've, I've also seen that some people are completely ignoring GDPR compliance. Funny, Matt sent, 
forwarded me an email the other day from someone that clearly had no idea about the regulation and was using it to promote uh, unsolicited lists, which was hilarious. Um, but um, but uh, I think that in general, we have seen um, companies and different marketing teams make big improvements to the way that they are capturing consent and also be much more transparent about what they are going to do with your consent. And I think that was needed in the industry. Yeah, I think so too. I think the you know, Robert Rose at Content Marketing Institute actually described GDPR as a gift to marketers, whether they wanted it or not, to really kind of come to terms with you know really addressing and prioritizing customer requests. So I think you know more to come. We'll see what happens with the legislation, but legislated or not, um, you know the your customer is still in control. We are out of time, unfortunately. Here, another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. I want to thank our guest Amy Holtzman, VP of Marketing at Splash. If you want to see some of the examples of the good. Uh, marketing they do overall, as well as some of the GDPR content they created, uh, check out splashthat.com slash resources, and you can download to your heart's content. We are out of time here for another episode. Uh, if uh, if you uh, want to catch this episode again on demand, please go to salespipelineradio.com, where every episode, past, present, future, is available. And uh, we out. Time for now. On for my great producer, Paul. My name is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. You've been listening to Sales Pipeline Radio, brought to you by the good folks at Matt Hines Marketing. Right here on the Funnel Radio channel for at-work listeners like you.